Michael Jackson was bad. James Brown was super bad. But you and me, well, let's talk about it with Brant Hansen on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Our favorite megachurch pastor, Zach Van Dyke, is here between his kids and the quarantine. Zach's about to pull out his hair, <laughs> which That's is a shame because he is spiritual, good looking, and he has great hair. Thank you, Steve. I, I appreciate that. And I speak that with great jealousy, by the way. That's what I was going to say. He's just jealous. <laughs> Matthew Porter is with us. Matthew was interviewed on an Internet show last week and introduced as the wrong person. How did that feel? Affect your spirituality, oh, great, your authenticity, Steve. your humility. It's great. And the, and the indignity continued because I invited our oldest to hang out with me for the radio show. And he goes, oh, no, no, thanks. I got I got cats in the cradled by my 11-year-old. Okay. Did you correct him or did you go by the new name? I was just happy to be, I was just happy to be a bat. You know, I'm introduced often as Steve Green. <laughs> the colors mixed up and it happened so often I quit trying to correct it and watch the embarrassment of the person when it dawned on them that they had called me Steve Green. I, in fact, I enjoyed that embarrassment, which will give you an idea of my walk with Jesus. <laughs> Ed? Is Our producer, Jinx. <laughs> is working hard in his little glass booth while everyone is freaking out about needing a haircut. Jinx. Well, <laughs> Jinx is sitting back and laughing at the rest of us. And our video director, John Myers, is in his tech bunker, probably using this extra time to plan his Christmas light show. That's a joke, but it's really not. He starts months in advance, and you have to see it to understand what that's all about. Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George reminds you strongly that Key Life is an essential business, okay? And your donations are welcome uh, to shelter in place with us. And you didn't course, say anything Kathy about my hair. The, what was that? You didn't say anything about my hair. Um, and Kathy <laughs> uh, is the soft feminine side of the program. Just like the bread she breaks, Kathy rises when the heat is on. <laughs> that blueberry thing you made... Uh, I had another piece last night with ice cream. Vanilla ice cream, right? Of course. Yeah. And um, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. So I know. we ought to have this 
quarantine more often. Uh, well, I'm going to make I'm going to make Jinx the cake with the yes. vodka and the sambuco in it because then he'll feel like he's died and gone to heaven. So, <laughs> and you will too if you will drink the vodka as well <laughs> as baking with it, <laughs> guys. <laughs> Our guest today is one of my favorite people, Brant Hansen. He is, of course, an author, nationally syndicated radio host, and advocate for healing children with correctable disabilities through Cure International. He's written for CNN.com, The Washington Post, U.S. News and World Report, and Relevant, and Brand's latest book, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers is the truth about us. Turn it around, the Steve. Very good news about there we how go, very bad we are. Get the are. front and the back. Good job, Matthew. <laughs> Brad, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for taking time from a busy schedule to hang out with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, I love this book. I, I love it for a lot of reasons. It makes me feel better about the good news that Jesus still loves me. But years ago, my mentor, who's in heaven now, I'll introduce you to him when we get home. But Fred said that everything about politics, about life, about educational philosophy, about theology, about our walk with Christ depends on which of two propositions you accept. We're very bad with a proclivity toward good, or we're very good with a proclivity toward bad. And he's right. I've thought about that. I can't tell you the thousands of the times I've thought about it since he taught it to me when I was your age, Brant. And it has been the place where I focused on reality almost every place, and certainly in theology. Um, comment on what Fred said, and then we'll jump in. I think it's true. and But what's fascinating, and this is what prompted me to write this particular book, is if you read mainstream cognitive psychologists right now, like Daniel Kahneman or Jonathan Haidt, these people, they're, they're not writing from a Christian standpoint at all, but they're talking about how beset we are with cognitive biases. Like we are, we're so biased. Our brains are just full of hundreds of different kinds of little shortcuts that we use. And so many of them, you can trace it right back to self-righteousness. And mm. I'm fascinated by that because here are these guys who are saying we shouldn't even trust ourselves. We're so delusional about how good we are. It's, and they're not believers. And they're agreeing with Jesus. Who right. I just did a radio interview yesterday with a guy, and I, I like the guy and everything, but he kept trying to spin my book back to, well, you know, some of us are good people, but none of us are good enough to go to heaven. I got it. But a lot of us are good people. And I'm like, that's not what Jesus ever said. You don't get to compare nuts. yourself with people. What's, what's fascinating is to have these cognitive psychologists then come along and say, we understand now that humans are so capable of fooling themselves about their own moral goodness. It's mind-blowing. Most and, people and think Christians who know the truth have to be careful, too, because it's addictive, and it, you're drawn to it all the time. 
I, I'll bet you 15 times a day I'm convicted about my own self-righteousness. And, uh, and, and I, I should know better by now. I really should. Well, but by the way, Brant, you said good. the people in the psychological discipline uh, agree with us, and they're not even Christians. That's not just true there. That's true in the arts. It's in fiction, good and profound fiction. It's in film. It's everywhere. And you would think, now, I get that people aren't Christians. I get that they don't buy into our message. I get that. It's hard to believe. But in this one place, you would think that self-righteousness would suffer a death blow. But it doesn't. We continue with our canceled culture, the arrogance, the anger, the judgment, the condemnation. It's everywhere and in every place, and you can't get away from it. No, I think that's really interesting, too, is just I think a lot of people associate self-righteousness with religion. We can certainly understand why I associate it with Steve Brown. But the point is, <laughs> um, the point is that while we can do that and there's a record for that, we understand that. Um, you can look as we're getting more pagan as a culture and more post-Christian, you don't see us getting less self-righteous on Twitter. It's not like now we're just magnanimous. Like the virtue signaling and the canceling, like you're talking about, is going up. We're getting more self-righteous, I think. The idea that we're supposed to repent and that there's something brutally wrong with us is so obvious, yes, but we still resist it. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's so obvious. It's played out every day on social media. You can see our problem. It's on display vividly. And yet repenting is so weird and so odd that Jesus said, if just one of you will do it, we'll all party. If just one of you guys would repent, all of heaven would break into a party. If just one of you, but <laughs> it's so unnatural for us to do something like that and get humble. And I, you know, I sort of get I mean, what else have you got except your own goodness and value and worth to proclaim to the world if you're a pagan? But if you're a Christian, the Bible is so, and you make it clear in your book, it's a, it's a but of course, duh, kind of response. The Bible is so clear on every page about our neediness and sin and rebellion and badness, if you will. And yet Christians have a reputation for self-righteousness, and it's well-deserved. We need to repent of that before we repent of anything else. You agree, don't you, Brad? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, just, you've got to say something. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought I was running out of time. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Brad, we're going we're gonna to back out, but we'll come back on you the other. You can't do that to him, man. You just told me how to talk, and now you're shutting him up. <laughs> Guys, this may not seem all that important, but trust me on this. This is one of the most important, et cetera, programs that you're ever going to listen to. And if you get it, it'll change your life. And if you get it, then you can hear the good news. And the good news is so good that it will blow you away. But we're not only sinful, we're also weak. And this is hard work. And so we're going to back out and rest up a little bit. But like Jesus... We're coming back.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of four dollars. You're listening to Steve Brown, etc., and we're talking with Brian Hansen. His new book is called The Truth About Us. But he should have made the main title, the subtitle, the very good news about how very bad we are. Awesome. Brian, before the break, you were talking a little bit about how we tend to kind of fool ourselves into thinking we're good. Or kind of, there's, there's essentially kind of a narrative uh, machinery in place protecting us. And, and, and as we were talking, I was thinking about how our eyes reflexively will shut even on a subconscious level, just like in a split second, the whole body will turn in to protect our eyes. It's almost like the same thing with our egos. No matter what happens, the narrative forces start, the gears start turning to shape the story, to shape our perception in order to save our feelings and to save our ego. You, t- you kind of catalog some of the biases in, 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 in that. It's, it's actually astounding what you cover in the book. Can it you is. talk about it's- that? It's astonishing stuff because it's, it's stuff like they've done studies where as soon as somebody says an opinion, I mean, you may not even have a, 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 a care. You may be like, somebody's like Notre Dame or USC football, you know, which is the better to, I'll go with Notre Dame because you may not even care until you start talking. But as soon as you say it, you double down on it. You start to think you're right as soon as it comes out of your mouth. <laughs> and, and it's fascinating how that happens. They'll have people take these, They'll take a public stand on some sort of an experiment with everybody in the room. But the people who say things out loud instead of writing down predictions will stick by them no matter what, because they took a public stand on it. And no matter what the data says from that point on, it takes a tremendous amount of convincing to get somebody to back off something they've already said. But Mm. if you wrote it down and it was private, you can pivot. And think about that in terms of any kind of social media debates this is why you don't win. You can't. There's no amount of information that's going to sway somebody to go, you know what, Eureka, you're right. You have, you have cornered me logically. I give up. No one does that because they're saying something out loud in public, and now they believe it more than ever. So there's all these things that happen. How about this? Like the first, There's a bias towards the first data that we're exposed to. So if somebody watches a documentary about a, a political issue, and they haven't really thought about it before, but they watch it, you're going to, it's going to take you years if it's a normal person to give that person enough data for them to go, you know what? That documentary was wrong. Wow. That was the first thing that they had their minds put on. This is, this is how we work. And it's how we fool ourselves into thinking we're right. Here's the other problem. 
you know, we can get addicted to anything that gives us dopamine. Yeah. Being right, being right and being proven right gives you a dopamine rush. Mm-hmm. So think about how scary that is in terms of our, how we have to be humble to not love constantly dinging that part of our brain that gives us a hit that goes, look how right I am. Look how right I am. Look how right I am. When it's constantly coming at us in information waves and we can share something or like something or say, ah, proves it again. I was right. We, we actually are addicted to ourselves being right. So the, so the self-righteous person, um, it's not even so much as them being a jerk. It's like reframing it. It's like, it, yes, this is jerk like attitude. This is an addict. Think right. of it in the terms of this is an addict who has a substance problem. Okay. So think about Jesus tone with people. Don't, doesn't his tone sound like he's talking to a bunch of addicts? Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it does. You don't even know you're addicted. Here's the problem with self-righteous. At least if I'm snorting a drug or something or smoking something, like, at least I know I'm doing it. Right. But the self-righteous, he's like, you're not even aware of this. This is what will separate you from God forever. Mm. And it's going to be you, like any other addiction, you'll be left with your addiction and nothing else. That thing that you are addicted to, you'll be left with that. Well, that's us. That sounds like hell to me. Like I'm you always, to- need, always need more. Yeah, and it's no, going to be just what me. C.S. Lewis said in The Great right. Divorce. Yes, I'm so influenced by that, too, and you can see it where people me are. Me, too. And also to wit on the, on the great divorce, for instance, this willingness, even if we're wrong to go to our graves, being wrong and miserable rather than repenting or saying, you know what, I was wrong, is the study, again, of cognitive psychologists who are just amazed at the human capacity to not ever come to a point of going, I'm the problem. Mm. It's so remarkably rare. And again, it sounds exactly like Jesus' tone is is telling us this over and over in a million different ways. Wow. Why wow. did we miss it? Is it because self-righteousness never names itself? Yeah, I think that's it. I think like he's like, um, like Matthew was just saying, like we have these ego defenses. There's a book actually from the fifties called ego defenses. And, and um, it's a uh, guy Swanson wrote it. It was a, a psychiatrist, but he just said it's, he calls it the legitimate legitimization of human behavior. Our capacity to justify and rationalize whatever we do is almost unbounded. I mean, as soon as I do something, I use my rationality to convince myself that what I did is okay. And this guy was writing about that years ago, and he said, these these defense mechanisms we have aren't actually aimed at other people. They're aimed at fooling us. So that we feel better about ourselves and equilibrium is established that I'm still a good person, no matter what I've done. And you can interview people in prisons and they have the same percentage of people who say they're better than average morally. It's like 90 some percent. We're all better than average morally. It's Lake Wilbegon effect, but it's on it's like it's like on steroids when it comes to moral goodness. We all think we're awesome. (laughs) You know, Hmm. so. That, yeah, that, but I am. Well, that, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So there is that. So I wrote an addendum for Steve Brown, but you guys don't have to read that. <laughs> well, you have this. They have this classic quote from George Carlin, which just sums it up so well. Isn't it funny how everybody who drives faster than you is a maniac, and everyone who drives <laughs> slower than you is an idiot? You're like, oh, look, you're just yeah. the perfect. You're just the perfect person right there. I'm the one. 
I'm the norm for everything. I actually use that quote in the book. And it, yeah. I talked about how, you know, anybody who exercises more than me is kind of a nut. Mm-hmm. You know, That's true. Anybody who exercises less really needs to get their act together. And, um, you know, anybody who cares about sports more than me is like taking it, making an idol out of it. But anybody who doesn't care about it as much as I do is like, come on, you know. Like, all of that is happening on like a subconscious level. It's not even. That's totally it. There, there's so many things that come into play for us mm-hmm. to try to think better of ourselves. And one great point, I hope we, I hope we can get to this, but the, the researcher Jonathan Haidt was talking about this in his book, again, as an atheist. He's like, we all like to stroke ourselves for being rational people. But he said, the truth is we're emotional and intuitive and we use our rationality only to justify what we already wanted. Wow. Not the other uh, way around. Yes, by wow. the way, Grant Hansen. And the book is The Truth About Us, the very good news about how very bad we are. I do want you to know that before this program is over, we won't just convict you and make you feel like you ought to eat dirt. There's a solution to all of this. There's a way you can get better. And then... And then once you're better, you can feel self-righteous about being better. (laughs) And that's the conundrum of this issue. Something that is never fixed. Being aware of it is being aware of God's grace and how greatly you need it. we got more of the same coming up on the other side of the break. Don't you dare go anywhere. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What do you do for a living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. Thanks for joining us on Steve Brown, etc. We're hanging out with Brant Hansen, radio host and author of The Truth About Us. But the subtitle is the best, the very good news about how very bad we are. You can get more from Brant at BrantHanson.com and follow him on Twitter at Brant Hansen. Brant, I have a... So I, so I'm a pastor and, uh, and, you know, realizing how bad I am. I mean, I think that's actually why I went to seminary to become a pastor is I thought maybe it would make me better. Uh, so I think I was very aware of, 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 
my proclivity towards uh, sin. Um, and I grew up in the church, so I, 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 knew, I knew that. Uh, but what I've found is I've engaged with more people who didn't grow up in a religious background. Uh, when I be, when I lead with, you know, we're all worse than we think we are. Um, their reaction is so strong against that. Um, and they feel like religious people are just always beating themselves up, that they're into wormology. Um, you know, they, they kind of start from, like you said, a place of feeling like we're pretty good. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, what is your response to, to those that just feel like we're beating ourselves up, trying to make ourselves feel bad um, in, in this kind of thinking? See, I feel like, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong on this. I mean, we can, we can talk about this, but my thinking is we're already on a guilt trip. Hmm. Look at all the circumlocutions we're doing, all the, all the biases we're giving into in order to avoid reality. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this, everybody's on a guilt trip already, and that's why we have to con- continually try to convince ourselves that we're, that we're okay. But we're, this is a long trip, and it's, it's torpedoing our relationships, and it's costing us joy. It's keeping us from living a childlike life that's really humble and fun. There's a lot of beautiful things that could happen if we got off that guilt trip. I actually think what I'm proposing here is, is and I think what Jesus is proposing is a way off the guilt trip that he knows everybody's already on. And that's, that's all of this stuff that you can see worked out on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, all the virtue signaling, all the I'm better than, at least I don't, at least I'm not. And, and it's all over the place. It's not just in Christianity. You see, you see vegans going at it online, like you're not vegan enough. You didn't do it. It's, it's, there's Phariseeism of every stripe because that's human. So I, I would totally understand why somebody would say that. I get used to, and I try to say that in the book too. I know people have had religion use like a club against them or God talk and beaten them senseless and it's not fair and it's not okay. But I actually think this is, this is a mercy to say, finally, if I'm humble, I don't have to do this anymore. I can actually have, make better decisions because I realize how biased I am towards myself so I can make wiser decisions. And wisdom brings joy rather than pain, my foolishness and my selfishness and my rationalizing constantly actually brings pain into my life. And I can go into many details on that, but actually, I hope that makes sense, but I actually think this is the way off the guilt trip that we're all already naturally on. And and when somebody says what Zach is talking about, um, that's a smoke screen and also a reflection of their own addiction. Hmm. I think it can be. Um, I just, I'm trying to. I try to be sensitive to that. But this this gets at another point I wanted to make about talking to people. And uh, I've, I've referenced Jonathan Haidt several times, but I, I got so much out of his book as somebody who's again calls himself an atheist, this NYU professor. Um, but he said our rationality, the truth is, our rationality is like, like a rider on an elephant. We all think we're rational. We think the elephant that's driving our decision-making is the rationality. It's not. That elephant that's out of control and moving ahead, we can't control. That's our emotions and our intuitions. And the rationality is just alone for the ride to make up reasons why this is a good reason that I'm going this direction. But he said, that's why if you come along with reasoning, maybe as a believer, maybe I'm a Christian, I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, well, what about this, that, and the other thing? And I can win the argument. In fact, I usually do just because I'm a verbal guy and I like arguing and whatnot, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But he said, there's one thing that gets that elephant actually to stop. 
and start to tilt another direction. Because again, you can't speak to the rationality unless that elephant starts to turn. He said, there's only one thing he's saying this as an atheist. And he said that one thing that's been proven is relationship. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting. And, I, and I've seen that to be true in my own life. Like I completely reject an idea until I actually get to know somebody and like them, a neighbor or they, me, and they think I'm crazy at first, but after a while, it's not so crazy anymore, is it? And they can actually countenance some of these ideas I have and they can actually listen to me. But he said, that's the only thing that gets that elephant to start to turn. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I think that my question at the beginning, um, I think for some people it is a smokescreen, but, but really what I've encountered more is people feeling beat up or hurt by the church. And so they're not even willing to, to engage in the conversation. Yeah. So I love what you just said, that their relationship can break through that, that barrier. Um, so. Yeah, it's so hard to talk about this stuff, too. Because, and somebody, like, I did the first radio interview yesterday with somebody, and he's like, well, this isn't going to sell. And I'm like, well, <laughs> but it's true about all of this. If we like studying humans and we are humans, it might be, it might be entertaining. I try to make it entertaining. <laughs> I think I you can get a used copy, a right? It multitude of sins, doesn't it? <laughs> I hope so. And yes, you Guys. can get a used copy right now, even though the book's like six minutes old. <laughs> Guys, we're going to back out. Don't forget this book. You need to get it. And your small group needs to study it. The truth about us, the very good news about how very bad we are. Profound, important, far more important than you think. Don't go away. Coming back. was irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know... She seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. You're listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're listening on the radio, you are deprived of viewing uh, our astounding (laughs) beauty and handsomeness. But if you're going to look at us as well as listen to us, go to YouTube and do the subscribe button. And by the way, this is a good book to study in a small group. You might start with this interview and then spend the next few weeks going through the chapters. You'll rise up and call me blessed for having told you about it. 
So, so Brent, you've, you've talked about the addiction we have to self-righteousness and, um, you know, the dopamine rush we get and so forth. If we get to the point where we can say, as you do at one point in the book, uh, hello, I'm Brent and I'm self-righteous and drinking the coffee out of the styrofoam cup, sitting on the folding chair. So what's, what's the next steps in the 12 step program for, um, self-righteous addiction? What's the good news? Jesus keeps, keeps banging away. That's a terrible way to put it, but it's true. He keeps banging away at this humility thing over and over and over. And he keeps honoring the humble. It even says that God resists the proud in the Bible. Like, this is the line. We're all about good and bad and assessing ourselves on this one axis of good and bad and trying to prove ourselves to ourselves and everybody else. And it's this grading thing and it's a lot of work and it's a way to fool ourselves our entire lives, like all this effort. And Jesus, who I believe is not only the son of God, um, he is the smartest teacher of all time. He is the way who know he's the one who knows how to live better than anybody else is saying your life will actually be better if you humble yourself. If you actually come into a place where you're like this guy on the cross next to me who has nothing good to offer other than humility and a recognition of reality. Like mm-hmm. that's the only guy in all of scripture that he turns to and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like, I don't know how more vivid it could be about humility, 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 and your life will be better. I don't know how more vivid looking back through it. See, we keep reading because of our biases. We keep reading for this good, bad thing. And Jesus keeps talking about humility and the the proud. And he uses so many stories to that end too. I am so glad I'm not like this man, Lord. And that guy is in serious trouble. A story of the prodigal son and his brother. Uh, vivid ways of Jesus telling us it's not about this moral scorecard that you have in your heads. It's like he, he undermines us at every turn, but he's telling us that this life that we can live is better if we will become aware and humble ourselves and become about other people. So I don't, I can't unfold 12 steps, but I know the humility thing. It's interesting because I will say this, I've talked about this. People who have been through a 12 step program get this a lot quicker than people who have it. True. There's an immediate recognition of, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still loved. I'm valuable. And besides, yeah, we are beset with all these biases, but here's Jesus on the cross saying you're this valuable to me. There's God working out his plan over the course of centuries. Like, to reclaim us who, by the way, even though we can say, well, I'm, I'm not a good person now, but when we were created, God stops and he, he actually uses the term very good. Mm. That was the plan, right? Like, uh, just like the, uh, just like the addict, it's not something that suddenly Jesus makes self-righteousness disappear. It's a daily struggle, moment by moment struggle. And it's life-saving. That struggle is life-saving. So is that I, transaction that supernatural? I mean, I don't see it. This is not fixable. I mean, it's too deep. It's too profound. It's everywhere. Man, it, you just, it, something's got to happen. Uh, does Jesus answer the prayer, show me myself? 
I think he does help us grow up. Uh, and I think that's a big part of growing up. I think, I think he does. I think I've, I've noticed some older people over time. I make a note because I agree with CS Lewis too, that we have to watch the little attitudes early on because they start to, we start yeah. to become a caricature in our old age of whatever it was. And we start this trajectory and we, we wind up just being this grumble machine that goes on forever. He said. <laughs> like, uh, but I've noticed there are some older people who are so remarkably other centered and I know they're still broken and I know they're still prone, but I do think we can grow up and I'm not saying we become, we become sinless or any, but it's this awareness of our own self-righteousness. Be aware of this tendency so that we can subtract for some of these things and go, that's just me being me again. Lord help me to just think about somebody else. Um, I do think there's a childlikeness that comes to take us out of some of this traps so that we're not just constantly broiling about it all the time. I do think there's hope there. I think there's change that happens. Mm-hmm. Isn't Brent, it interesting? Was, oh, go ahead, Kathy. I was just going to say, I was having a conversation with a friend last night about a, a situation that we're both mutually involved in. It's really not a great situation. And I was um, getting ready to say something that I knew was not at all beneficial to the conversation. And of course I said it anyway, but, um, but I prefaced it by saying, Oh, I am so self-righteous and I'm going to have to confess this as soon as I'm get off the phone with you. But, and, and then went right into saying it anyway, but there was this, there was this thing going on in my head that was like i i know what this is and and i know i'm gonna have to confess it and i wish i was better at not saying it to start with but i really do know what it is and i and i really do know that you know that it's that it's forgivable which at that point is kind of like you know um, wow but that doesn't happen all the time yeah i think i think (laughs) Uh, it's a struggle, obviously, for all of this. But at the end is mercy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, think, I think not just at the end, too, because we know that that is the end. It can be now, too, where, okay, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to grab a towel here and see if I can wash some feet and get my mind off this a little bit. And, and, and uh, again, I think there's a childlike quality that comes with that humility of not just just going this whole struggle, man. I don't, I don't know what to do with it, but I do know that, um, you know, I can love my neighbor by helping her take her dog out right now or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and if that sounds simplistic or not very theologically astute, that's probably because I'm not, I'm, I'm simplistically not theologically astute, <laughs> but I, I do, I do think in the end you circle back to these really simple things. Um, and I'm very thankful and um, can say to God, this is my problem. And uh, it's going to continue to be a problem, but thank you for your mercy. I'm a cynical old preacher, and every t- I need to talk to you more. You're the real deal. You really are. And I love this book, and uh, I hope that everybody within the sound of my oral cavity will go out and get this book and underline it. And then you'll be as spiritual as I am. Brent, keep writing. We'll keep talking. Thanks for taking your time with us. Can't thank you guys enough. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Brent. Guys, we're going to back out. If you'll hang around for just a little bit, we'll tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. The program is Steve Brown at Severin. 
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of four dollars. You've been listening to Steve Brown at Sevilla, and what a great hour! And by the way, it is so important. I, I am absolutely frustrated with myself and my self righteousness. I can't fix it. I can't make it better. And I tell Jesus that so many times you wouldn't believe it. But I'm also frustrated with yours. That drives me nuts, too. And, and the, the thing that Brant said at the end is so good, and it makes it easier. There's mercy. There's mercy for me. And so the key to all of this is to come to an awareness. And the key to coming to awareness is to say to Jesus, I don't care how much it hurts, show me myself. And you'll be surprised because he loves you so much <laughs> at his laughter. Yes. Uh, at the fact that yes. you're totally accepted, that you have a safety net, which makes you free to examine every dark place in your life and to bring it to him because mercy is always there. I love Brian Hansen right. and I love his authenticity. And I think he's a perfect example of God honoring the humility of somebody who honestly and deeply really is that. You know, we always look up to people who make an impact on culture. Those who are really, really good Christians, those who have led so many to Christ, those who are famous those who have done so much when, in fact, the only heroes that we ought to have are Jesus and those who empty themselves and become as much like him as you can possibly be with his help. Humility is the name of the game. I have a lot of it. And... Uh, and uh, I just wanted to say that before I turn to Kathy. Kathy, who's going to be on next week? Rachel Gilson. Um, she has written a book titled Born Again This Way, Coming to Faith and What Comes Next. Um, very, very interesting uh, story about her former life um, and her current life. She was one that we had scheduled for back when this whole pandemic mess started. And so we had to reschedule because we couldn't all sit around the studio together. And then we got all this great technology and now we're all at home. But 
I think next week we'll still be doing it like this. It's going to be a good program. I know about her. I mean, you don't want to miss that one. And we're going to come back same time, same place next week. And we hope you do, too. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth.